Hello and welcome to Dragon's Demise, the podcast about what happens on, around, and behind the tabletop. I'm joined today, as always, by Greg. Hey there. And we will be reviewing Terraforming Mars. Yes! So excited! But first, let's talk about what we've been playing. Uh, yeah, let us do that, because we just got back a little while ago um, from sort of a board game retreat. Uh, we, along with some of our friends from here, as well as some of your old friends from, I guess they would have been college, right? Yeah, it was at AU, yeah. Decided, you know what, hey, we're going to do this board game retreat. This is, I believe, the third annual for you and those friends. Yep. And we're going to go get a cabin together in West Virginia. We're going to play board games for four days, and it was absolutely glorious. We it, played yeah. something like 18 unique games, 25-plus playthroughs. And, you know, we're not talking, you know, quick games of Uno or something here. We, you know, we spent it literally an entire day playing a nine-hour game of Eldritch Horror. Yeah, it was pretty epic. Like, we, we were just like, oh, yeah, we can start this after uh, after dinner, I think. What well, was one uh, decision that was like, no, I think maybe we'll start it early. And then, like, you know, leave the evening for, like, lighter games. We played, like, from 3 to, like, 1 o'clock in the morning or something like that. Yeah. It, there, were, there were no more games after that. Everybody <laughs> just went to bed after that. Yeah, it was one of those. But we managed to win. We did. We did. We were facing Yig. Yig. Yeah. I think was the name of the boss, who yep. was actually from an expansion. Yeah. So that was interesting. I had played before and had won before, but I had never played with the expansion. Mm-hmm. So that was pretty cool. It was called, I believe, Under the Pyramids Yeah. was the yeah. name of it. And it basically just, in addition to adding new types of enemies, new you know elder gods, it adds like a side map, which puts something like nine extra movement spaces in northern Africa. So... Basically, the space between Heart of Africa and about Rome on the northern side, mm-hmm. uh, maybe Cairo. It just adds a whole bunch of extra spaces, including three major city locations. Yep, yep. Where you? Oh no! Wow! It was actually six. Yeah. Because there were each there were three in each of two different colors. Yeah. Where you could acquire new types of stuff. There was places where you could acquire something called unique assets, which were mm-hmm. sort of halfway between a regular asset and artifacts in terms of power and they they were pretty interestingly flavored just generally pretty good addition in terms of you know the amount of exploration that you can do the amount of customization that you can do there were some parts of it that i didn't like so much there was a step during setup where we got like super super punished it dragged us all out of place and we had to lose a bunch of sanity and that was a pain in the ass Um, but overall I think the expansion was probably a pretty good addition. Yeah, definitely. I really enjoyed it, and I'm really glad that we managed to win in the end. It was a long game, but I think everyone was fine with that. And we played a full seven-player game. There was a lot of people going around. I couldn't roll over a four to <laughs> save my life. Luckily, you weren't a combatant, though, so it wasn't that big a deal. Yeah, I was the dude who was supposed to be able to get all of the equipment and give it to all you guys. Yet, I, I just couldn't get anything. I was rolling so badly that it was actually epic how badly I was it, rolling. It was pretty impressive. I think yeah. we ended up with three character deaths yes, for the whole three. game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, not bad yeah. for, a, for a game of, you know, Eldritch Horror. We, we actually weren't able to solve the mysteries mm-hmm. in time to prevent the awakening either. So it was, you know, we, we had to power through the mysteries after the... Elder God awakened and then go punch him in the face. 
So that was that was definitely an exciting capstone to the game. Yeah, for sure. We actually got to play a few other games where all of us were together. One of them being uh, The Captain is Dead. Yeah, yeah, we did. This was a new game that I just got pretty recently, and I was like, ooh, cool. It seems like almost Star Trek that you're trying to like keep the, the bridge open, like, you know, the, the captain is dead, you're trying to fend off the aliens, everyone is a different role and, ha- and can do different things. And it was a lot of fun. I definitely enjoyed it. A little bit easier than I was expecting. Yeah. But we are also playing on normal difficulty, so I'm curious to see what would happen if we had fewer players if the difficulty was a little bit higher or something like that. Yeah, and it's something, I think we were on normal, which was like the second easiest. Yeah. And then there were like five steps more difficult beyond that. So there's definitely lots of scaling that can happen in terms of Mm -hmm. how much, you know, stress you're put under, how much effort you have to put into repairing the various systems. Yeah. So it would be interesting to play again and sort of ratchet it up. Yeah, and I also think that it would be very uh, a lot more difficult if we didn't have that many people yeah probably because we were just able to especially with some of the powers that we had we were just able to like give everyone the cards they needed like it was pretty obvious what everyone's going to do we didn't have something like i could either do x or y both of them are going to give us an equal benefit or an equal detriment Um, it does seem a little bit like one of those games where there's a sweet spot in terms of number of players because threats come into play and are resolved after each player's turn so you know if you have too few players you're ending up with fewer threats but you're also ending up with fewer opportunities to do things whereas if you have too many players yeah you can do basically whatever you want but because of how many threats are resolving whatever you want is going to be putting out fires a lot faster than sort of in a a small to medium-sized game yeah yeah you have different i think priorities when you are playing a game that has more players i think that you're definitely much more stuck into your role of like what your character can do and you're almost always only doing what that character does yeah versus i'm guessing that in in like a three or four player game like you may not be the best at doing x but you still have to do it because it's got to get done this turn yeah you definitely need more flexibility in a smaller party so I'm, i'm curious to try it out and see how that feels uh with fewer people or more difficulty yeah, looking forward to it. Um, we also got a chance to introduce your friends to Mystic Veil, vale, yeah. obviously one of our favorites. Yes. Um, and they loved it. They as soon actually before they even left, yeah, uh, they had ordered it, and it was pretty much waiting for them when they got home. Yep. So that was a lot of fun to sort of share a game that we love with mm-hmm. new people and and watch them pick up on the strategies that we've already identified and sort of show us, oh hey, you know that's a new thing. And that, yes. was, that was really a lot of fun, and I was glad to see that they enjoyed it. I at least played two games, yep. one with and one without the new Veil of the Wild expansion, mm-hmm. which is the one that adds leaders yeah. and sort of dramatically scales up the, the points, yep. as we pointed out last time we talked about it. So I think that was probably the right way to do it, you know, mm-hmm. get them started on the base game just so they can become familiar with the mechanics, just because... You know, spoiling, playing from the field rather than from your hand is sort of unconventional for a deck builder. Mm -hmm. And introducing them to those elements was an important first step before saying, okay, we've played this. Now here's these game-breakingly powerful things. Yep, yep. Go nuts. Yeah, I think you had a lot more luck with introducing people to some of our favorite games than I did. Because I introduced my friends to Tiny Epic Galaxies as well as Castles of Magdalene Ludwig. 
and both of those, I don't know, the games dragged on. They weren't being as fun as I normally like feel them being. It almost felt like I just either wasn't introducing them correctly or just some there was some disconnect somewhere. Yeah. With it because it's like these are games that normally like you know I've taught them one of them incorrectly before but the other <laughs> one the other one correctly and like even when I would teach Tiny by Galaxies it's, it's always been like snappy it's been fun it's been going it's like awesome but like it just wasn't working. In, yeah. In these so I I guess sometimes it's just like the game just doesn't work out. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's one of those situations where you're stuck in a cabin with the same people for four days straight doing nothing but playing board games. One, you're probably going to get fatigued. Yeah. And two, you're probably just going to say, you know, this is great, but I'd rather be playing Terraforming Mars again, which I think is something most of us said at one point because that game was like the end-all be-all of that trip. I think we played four or five games of it. Definitely more than any other any other single game. Yeah, for sure. We did get to try a game that was new for everyone as well, which was Escape. Mm-hmm. And the two of us haven't really played a lot of dexterity games. No, it's it's not something that I tend to focus on. It's not a mechanic that I usually go in for. Yeah, so I have Rampage, which is also a dexterity game, but I've never brought it to table. But we decided to like open up and try out Escape Curse of the Temple, I believe. And it was surprisingly a lot of fun. So first off, Escape is a game where you're trying to get a certain number of gems within the 10-minute time limit. Mm-hmm. And in order to do that, you have to roll dice to get certain combinations of these dice to be able to move, as well as get the gems once you once you move into a room that has the gems. And this is just like, it's not like you're waiting your turn. You're, everyone's going at once. Like, boom, I got this, I got this, I got this, I got this, I got this. Oh no, there are also sides of the, the dice that are locked. So, of course, me being my rolling this this, uh, this trip got locked many, many times. You did have some bad luck. But luckily, one of the faces unlocks up to two dice. So you can save yourself as well as each of your partners can donate a gold die to allow you to unlock your dice. So, yeah, there's definitely ways around it. But Mm -hmm. you were having some pretty bad luck with locked dice. Yeah, but it was still a lot of fun. It was just like frantic. It was trying to move in the middle of the game. I think at like the three or four minute mark that you had to get back to the 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 base camp of the game. So you can't just like explore all the way in one direction because you have to get back there. And then after that, you get to move towards the exit or if you have enough gems. And then if you have enough gems unlocked, then you have to roll the number of keys, which are uh, the number of gems left in the pool plus one, which is also just like a frantic thing. It's like, no, I need this gem, I need this, uh, I need these keys, and you're just like trying. It's like, time is ticking, time is ticking. Like You hear the gong, it's like, oh no, oh no, I can't do it, I can't do it. Boom, the door closes, and, and if all of us don't escape, then we all lose. Right, that was one thing that I really loved about the game, because at first I was thinking, oh, what, so it's just like playing chicken. I thought it was a competitive game where, you know, mm-hmm. whoever makes it out with the most yeah. gems is the winner, which then it just becomes a matter of how long are you willing to stay in. Yeah. But it's it's not actually that. It's you have to collect these gems because every gem remaining in the pool when you're trying to get out makes it harder to get out. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's not just, okay, I got a handful. I'm going to get out. If I don't win, whatever. You know, it's it's mandating you to explore, to acquire these gems before you can get out. So that was that was really innovative i think maybe i'm just not playing the right sorts of games but it was really nifty 
the fact that it was synced up with an app yep. was really pretty cool. That's another thing, another sort of mechanic that we don't play a lot of. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of app-based games, pretty much Alchemists, yeah. is the only one that I can think of that we've ever played together. Mm-hmm. But so to have a, a timer that goes along with you that says, all right, this is exactly when you need to be moving back towards the spawn point. This is by you know the time by which you need to escape, otherwise you lose, was pretty cool. And I'd love to play more games with... Uh, sort of app-assisted gameplay in the future. Which is what we're going to do as soon as First Martian comes out, because that is completely app-assisted. Oh, really? Yes. Hey, all right. So that's going to be coming out soon, so you'll probably be hearing me rave about that in the near future, because it's Robinson Crusoe in space. In space. So perfection plus space. Cool. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah. We played a few other games, but I think that that's going to be it for now. We don't want to bore you with all the details of every game that we played. It was a lot. Be on the lookout for some pictures from the retreat. I'm going to be putting them up. But yeah, that's a look at what we've been playing. And now it's time for our review of Terraforming Mars. For those of you who have seen The Martian, this can probably be best summarized by the quote... I'm going to have to science the shit out of it. Pretty much. Terraforming Uh, Mars is a competitive game for one to five players in which players compete as corporations to be the first to successfully terraform Mars. Yeah, uh, you're working together. There is only one Mars, so you are (laughs) on uh, one planet. How, How novel. Yeah, but it's still competitive. It's one of those there you have like the shared map, but what you're doing is you're still trying to like, you know, beat other people out of certain locations and certain other kinds of things. The way the game works is mostly card based. So you have your tiles that you could put down, but they are all dependent on the cards that you draw for the most part. Pretty much. So you can draw a few different types of cards. There are the blue cards. So the blue cards are the active capabilities, which will either give you actions that you can do during your turn or will give you effects that will be triggered by other people's actions. You have the green cards, which are passive capabilities, and these give you a one-time effect when you play them. But they also have symbols in the uh, top right-hand corner which remain in play and can be used for other things within the game. And the last type of card is the event card. And the event cards are one-time things that happen, and as soon as their effect is finished, you take them, put them face down, and uh, you don't use their symbols, anything like that. So the anatomy of the card, not only with the color, is that you also have a cost of the card, and that cost is usually based on like how powerful the card is. And then you also have the categorization of that card. And that's usually whether it's a building, whether it's a science card, space card, Jovian card, Earth-like card, or something like that. They're just different symbols that will then interact with either other cards, abilities, and other things like that that are usually useful throughout the game. Right. So at the beginning of each round, uh, rounds are referred to as generations, you're drawing four of these cards. You get to decide which ones to keep, paying three mega credits for each of them. And then it's time to start taking your actions. So each turn within a round a player has an opportunity to take up to two actions actions can be chosen from a list of sort of standard projects basically pay mega credits do a thing this can be very basic stuff put an ocean into play raise the temperature you know put a city into play 
all the sorts of things that you'd find on cards, but just for a direct cost, which makes them more inefficient, but something that you can always do. In addition to standard projects, you can perform actions on previously played cards, those active capabilities that we mentioned, or you can play a new card. Any card, no matter what it is, counts as one action when you play it. Once you've taken your up to two actions, play passes to the next player. If you either can't or don't want to take two actions, you can pass, in which case you're out for the round. So you definitely want to make sure that you do everything you can in a round before passing, but sometimes, you know, you just run short on money, you have no choice but to pass. Yeah, uh, just to be clear, you, if you take either one or two actions, you, may, you pass it on to the next person. If you take zero actions, that is what is considered a pass for the round. So you can take one action and go, but if you take none, you're out. Right. Yeah. Very, very important. Very strategic difference between those two things. Now, Greg mentioned some of the things that you can do, which are changing pretty much Mars into a more habitable planet. You've got the temperature, the oxygenation, and the oceans, which are the three victory conditions. Once all three of them have gotten to the end of their tracks, the game is over. That's it. These also, when you do them during the game, give you a benefit, which is the terraforming score. Now, the terraforming score is a very neat mechanic that they have in the game, which not only calculates the victory points, or at least a portion of the victory points for the player, but is also the base income for that player. So you have on your sheet in front of you other like extra income and of different resources and all that, but the terraforming score is the base. So when you increase the temperature by one, your terraforming score goes up by one. So it's pretty much saying, oh, you're making Mars a better place to live. You're going to get more money from the people that are funding you. Exactly. So even though your corporation's not governments, it operates in a very similar system. You do what we want you to do. We're going to pay you more to keep doing it. So it's a really interesting system that rewards playing towards the goal um, because, you know, as we pointed out, the game ends when these parameters have reached the top of their goals. So, hypothetically, you could stagnate. You could stall a game out for infinite numbers of turns. But, obviously, you're incentivized to not do that because you do get additional income. You get greater capacity to play the cards that are in your hand the more you do these things. Yep. In addition to the mega credits, which are you know primarily derived from your Terraform rating, you also have five other resources which you can increase the production of or just simply gain directly to put into your stockpile in various ways. So those five resources, you've got steel, which can be used to make it easier to construct buildings. You've got titanium, which can be used to make it easier to play space-tagged cards. You've got plants, which are generally used to put forests into play, basically to take a terraforming action but paying plants instead of money. Mm -hmm. And then you've got energy, which can be used to perform various activities or converted into heat at the end of the turn. Heat being the sixth resource, which is spent to obviously raise the temperature, but also to perform a few other actions here and there. Exactly. This all brings us to other ways that you can score points. And you get them from the terraforming score, which is, I think, I would say a bulk of the points, probably around 60%, maybe 70% of the points comes from that, yeah. depending on your strategy. Yeah, at least half. On, yeah. on, in almost no circumstances, it's going to be less than half. Exactly. And then after that, you also get a few other ways of getting points. First, cards that you play, some of them might have the 
victory point symbol. Boom, you play this card, you get a certain number of victory points. Easy. You can also have actions that give you uh, that give you an increased number of victory points on a certain card, or variables, or other things like that. Then you have the milestones and the awards. Now these are things that can be unlocked. So milestones are things that you unlock once you complete a specific kind of milestone. Uh, milestone. Perhaps. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there we go. As they are called. So it, it could be something like I have 35 terraform rating. Boom. That's a milestone. Then you can take an action to pay eight credits to claim that milestone. There's also ones that are based on how many cities you have, how many terraforming tiles you put on the board, all different kinds of things like that. There can only be three of those purchased per game. So if you're playing a four-player game, someone's going to get left out. But you can also have more than one per person. So Right, so at least one person yes. is going to get left out. So at least one person is going to get left out. Now, awards are a little bit different. So milestones are guaranteed. You buy that milestone, you get those points. End of story. There are two major differences with the awards. The first is that you're not guaranteed to get it. You're just unlocking the fact that that award is going to give points at the end of the game. So it could be something like, who has the most science cards? You take that, you unlock it. Now, you hope that you're going to still be the one who gets the most science cards. That is not necessarily going to be the case. But whoever has the most at the end of the game gets five points. Second most gets two points. And that's it. Right. Um, those the awards themselves they're a little bit more of a risk and they're also the first one is it costs the same uh, amount as the milestones which is eight but then they go up in cost so you have 14 and then 20 uh, mega credits to unlock them even so they are a little bit more of a risk and they are a little bit more of an investment so it's a very interesting mechanic to get more points right but all of this together your terraform rating any milestones and awards you've purchased the cards in your hand Additional points from the map. Each terraform, which is to say forest, that you place gets you one point. Each city that you control gets you one point per adjacent forest. So it's sort of a, a way to multiply the effectiveness. All of that's added together. That gets you your final score. Games that we've played, final score tends to run usually between 65 and 85, Yeah, I would say. So you're looking at a, a decently satisfyingly high scoring game with points coming from a lot of different sources. But the core of it really is that terraform rating yeah and greg i believe that we forgot one of the main parts of terraforming mars which is the fact that you don't just get cards uh, at the beginning of every round you draw four cards and then you basically decide which ones to keep each one that you keep which is to say take into your hand you pay three mega credits for that essentially these are patents and you're paying whoever invented them to acquire them and have the right to use them so there's definitely a cost to acquiring these things and bringing them into your strategy. So you have to be very strategic about what you're willing to pay for versus what you're not, both in terms of does this work for my engine, but also, you know, can I even play this right now? Because some cards, in addition to their costs, have minimum and maximum parameters. So the card called Birds, for example, is a, a blue card. It's an action card. You put it into play. You can use an action once per turn to basically gain one victory point. It's a very, very powerful card, but you can't play it until the oxygenation reaches 13%. The maximum oxygenation is 14%. So that is an extraordinarily late game card, even if you're rushing oxygen and leaving most of the rest of the parameters pretty low. Mm -hmm. So paying for your cards 
is something that absolutely makes the game feel more impactful and makes it that much more of a decision to actively pursue certain strategies. So that brings us into the feel of the game itself. So the first thing that I'll say is that there is a learning curve to this game. Absolutely. It is a game that the first time you play it is going to take you much, much longer than any other time that you play it. So we played it. We had, I believe, three new people and only one returning player when we first played it. Yep. And it took us a while to get started, figure it out. And that was with some good hints from, uh, from my friend. What he said is that you should not keep something that's like late game from the very early game. So that's one thing. You should only think about like two, three generations ahead. If you're looking at a card that would take five generations for this to even hit, or five rounds for it to even hit, don't waste your money on it because your money is pretty valuable, especially at the, in the beginning of the game. Try to get other things up and, and onto the board. Yeah. Going along with that very much is this idea that you're trying to build an engine. Successful players in every game that we played were able to build an engine full of you know passive capacities that had symbols in play, active capacities that had actions that they could perform, that synergized with those symbols every single turn, and they were able to just ratchet that up. So obviously, you're not going to know what's in the deck the first time you play, probably even the first couple of times that you play. You're not going to know what cards work best with what. You're not going to know what to be on the lookout for. You're not going to know the relative power levels of things. So it is a learning process. It's something to be played a couple of different times until you finally get a a sense of how the deck feels mm-hmm. under your belt so you know okay you know looking at your first couple of turns worth of cards you can say all right i'm going to go for a science strategy this game i'm going to go for a heat strategy this game i'm going to focus on generating lots of heat using that to raise the temperature and fuel all of my other abilities by doing that mm-hmm. that said adaptability is extremely important yeah so because of the way the game is played with just you know you drawing cards and then you get to keep some of those cards and it's really hard to get cards in other ways you have to adapt to whatever you're given like the hand that you're given the cards that you have in hand you might get the corporation that's really good with plants or anything like that you might not get a single plant card during the entire game so you have to adapt to whatever you have in your hand be able to pivot, say like, oh, I can, I can jerry-rig this into my strategy, even if it's not the exact card that I want. I'm going to be able to use this. Let's, let's go. Let's go with it. Like, run with it. Boom. Um, so you just, you have to be able to be adaptable in order to succeed in this game. If you're just rigid with whatever, what you're trying to do, you're going to fail. And that actually is a really perfect segue into one of the first things that we want to talk about regarding no game being perfect, even this one, as much as I adore it. And that is the draw mechanic. This is something that you had a huge problem with. It's something that a couple of other players had a huge problem with. It's just very inconsistent and difficult to successfully build that engine. Yeah, exactly. Because you are randomly choosing the cards. You're drawing just four from the top of the deck every round. And then you have to either keep any of those or discard them. You can't just you know have a pool of cards in your hand because that just doesn't make sense. You don't have the money to keep all of your cards in there just in case something doesn't work out. So you have to like commit to a strategy, and then two turns later you don't get anything else for the strategy, and you're you're screwed. 
right. while someone else is drawing like four cards and going boom 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 like every time they get like three cards that are great for them and boom and they're playing them playing them they just have like this huge engine that they just run they can run away the, uh, with the game because of it and that's happened to us like, yeah in, definitely in our first game first two games we had, we had people who uh, who ran away with it um so that kind of stuff can just like build up uh and that's why i actually am really glad that they put this in the rules that there is a variant and this is the one that i recommend to play with <laughs> which is the drafting mechanic and that is you draw you have your four cards you keep one of them pass the rest this not only lets you see more cards and lets you keep more cards and see which ones will be useful. And I mean, you do sometimes have to pass cards that would be really great for you because you got a hand of four great cards. But it like mitigates some of that randomness. But you can also stick it to the player who is going and like creating this huge engine already. That they've already gotten the perfect cards, boom. You know that this card is going to be great for them. Take that. Like, you know, do a little bit of hate drafting. I think that it just really improves the game when you do it that way. Yeah. I do want to push back on that just a little bit. You know, I personally feel that the sort of randomness of the draw that you get is really very thematic. It seems to me that terraforming Mars would be a very difficult thing to do. You wouldn't have perfect information. You wouldn't have perfect control over implementing all of those strategies. But the problem is that's not happening in a vacuum. If you get unlucky and the person to your left gets extremely lucky, that's going to you know, not necessarily mean that they win, but it's going to be very, very hard for you to win. So even enjoying the draw mechanic as I do, the draft mechanic is a step up in terms of balance and in terms of sort of leveling the playing field. In addition to sort of the draw versus draft mechanic, one of the things that a lot of people on the internet, including, you know, some of us, have taken issue with is the quality of the pieces cubes as much as they're really gorgeous you know there's metallic ones and then also translucent colored ones for the players they aren't cast terribly well uh the metallic ones the sort of cover the surfacing of them was starting to rub and your friend mentioned that he had only played this game not even half a dozen times Mm -hmm. the translucent ones had some pretty sharp edges it just it was a little bit shoddy the player boards were very thin almost cardstock not even cardboard and the fact that that's where you're supposed to keep all your resource cubes without any sort of you know indentation without any sort of you know track to put the trackers in for your income Mm -hmm. just leaves you wanting better quality pieces completely agree and the other thing that i'll mention about the game which i mean i guess is sort of part of the game but it's a long game like when you're playing like when we started we played with the corporate error cards which are uh, an expansion that goes uh, that is in the box or a variant rule technically that adds a lot more cards and it's just it, it the deck is very very large at that point you're playing for a very long time and so like i think our first few games were like three hours long something along those lines something like that yeah so it is a long game it's a fun long game, but it is a long game, so that's just something that you got to be careful of. If you remove the corporate era cards, that shortens the game as well. And I think the drafting mechanic also sort of shortens it because people can get their engines up a little bit more quickly. True. So true. there are different ways of shortening it, but just be aware. Long game. Yes, very long game. However, I love it. Final rating, 
I don't think it should come as any surprise to anyone who's been listening that I'm going to give this a top shelf. I adore this game. It does everything that I like. It's got engine building. It's got space. It's got sort of strategic tile laying and and territory control mechanics. I love this game. I think it executes each of those things very, very well. And I think it's highly unique from the perspective of rewarding movement towards victory conditions with additional income generation. That's the the Terraform rating being directly translated to income is something that I highly applaud and would love to see in more games. So this one gets a top shelf. I would not consider my board game closet complete without it. It's not in print right now, so I'm sad to say that my board game closet is incomplete, but I'm working on rectifying that. Yep. I'm going to echo it as well. I'm not going to give it a top shelf, but I am going to give it a strong recommendation to buy it when it is available once more. (laughs) Which is supposed to be soon. So if you're listening to this podcast, uh, it's supposed to be coming into print within the next uh, week or two. So uh, this is July 2017, so you should be getting it by mid-July. It is a great game. Uh, The mechanics are really good. I might even look into buying some of the cool, like, you know, uh, extras that that you can get, like, online people making, like, the cool other player boards and other things like that. Because I think that this is a game that I can I can bring to the table quite a bit. Right. It's a long game, but I think everyone has, who has played it so far has just immediately, like, yeah, sure, it's 1 o'clock in the morning, let's play again. <laughs> let's play a game. So I think your board game collection is not going to be complete without Terraforming Mars. All right, so that's our review. That's our rating. Before we go, let's talk about a few games that we feel are very similar in terms of, you know, the mechanics at the core of them, how they feel. First off, Race for the Galaxy. Obviously, space game, thematically very similar. But even more than that, you're building a tableau which has direct impacts on your capabilities. It affects how much you benefit from certain actions. It affects, you know, the cost of cards, what you're able to play what you want to play. It's very much in the same vein in terms of an engine building game. And it also has similar mechanics in terms of you have to make decisions about which cards to keep. You know, Race for the Galaxy, cards are currency. Cards are what you discard in order to put other things into play. So it's not one-to-one analogous, but it includes a lot of the same elements with regard to things like strategically thinking about what you want to play versus what you want to discard. Another one that I'd like to mention is City of Iron. We've talked about this game a few times before, and it has a decent number of differences. I mean, it is completely different in theme, but the the interesting part is that you still have those kinds of milestones in resource production. You start with a, a faction which has a specific ability and that kind of stuff, and you really get the strategic aspect of like how you want the cards to be put down in your discard pile because that makes it into your draw pile in that exact same order. You have a lot of really deep strategy and engine building in the game, but you still have the randomness of which cards come out. And you know you have to decide you know if you're going to use your money to be the first person in line to get a card that you really want, or if you're not going to have enough money to do something else because of that. So. You still have that real big risk and reward. And I think that if you enjoy Terraforming Mars, you'll probably enjoy City of Iron quite a bit. And there you have it. That's our review of Terraforming Mars.
Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Dragon's Demise. As always, WashingCon tickets are on sale over at WashingCon.com. We sincerely hope that you head on over there, pick up your tickets if you haven't already, especially if you live in the D.C. area. But even if you live across the country, fly out, come see us. We'd love to play a game with you. It's going to be a great time. That's happening September 9th and 10th. We hope to see you there. Also, be on the lookout for updates about our streaming schedule. We're currently streaming on Wednesdays, but we may be changing that in the future. So keep an eye out for that. And don't forget to join us next week when we stream something. We're not sure yet. We're hoping near and far, maybe Seafall. We'll see. Probably not killing zombies, though, but we still hope to keep your attention anyway. And finally, join us next week when we review Eldritch Horror.